Hello and welcome back to another episode of Control-Alt-Delete. I'm so thrilled that today's guest is the amazing Susan Wakoma. She is someone I've wanted to get on the podcast for a long time and I finally managed to pin her down. And I just know that you're going to love this episode. Susan Wakoma is an actress, comedian and a writer. She is best known or at least maybe recognised for her TV roles in the E4 Netflix show Crazy Head and also playing the very entertaining Cynthia in Chewing Gum. She was listed as one of Europe's 30 under 30 in the Forbes list in 2017 and she's also been named a BAFTA Breakthrough Brit. She made her first television debut at just aged 14. She has also been a member of the National Youth Theatre and she trained at RADA. She has had many on-screen appearances and I would be here all day if I listed them all but she's been in some incredible things like Crashing, the film adaptation of Half of a Yellow Sun and The Inbetweeners too. Her theatre work is extremely wide-ranging as well and she's been in many productions at the Royal Court, the Almeida Theatre and the Royal National Theatre. In June and July of this year she played Bottom in a adaptation of Midsummer Night's Dream at Regent's Park, the very iconic open-air theatre in London to glowing reviews. The Telegraph said of her performance, all are terrific and Susan Wakoma is sheer bliss, delivering one of the most endearing and effortlessly funny bottoms I've ever seen. In this episode, we talk about acting, stand-up, her career journey and how she uses social media and why it's okay to admit you love what you do. I hope you enjoy this episode. I really love talking to Susan. I feel like we've covered a lot of ground and um, if you enjoyed it, please do tweet us, leave a review on iTunes, and I'll see you for next week's episode. Thanks again for listening, and here it is. So I actually discovered your work kind of back to front, I think, because (laughs) I kind of came to your stand-up through the Guilty Feminist, through the events, through that side of things. And then I did that thing where I googled you and I was like, oh... Oh my goodness, like <laughs> the fact that you trained at RADA and you've been in like acting since you were 14, you've like, yeah. won all these awards. So I was like, wow, that's so interesting that I'm sure most people did it the other way. They would already know Ooh, your I don't, backstory, do you know I don't what? know. Actually, I think the way that all five people in the world who know me <laughs> have sort of come to my work has been through The Guilty Feminist, actually. And that is the first time and only time I've done stand-up because I don't really see myself as a comedian but Deborah bullied me and said that I had to do it so it's kind of yeah but I I think that's just because of the reach of the guilty feminist and yeah and so people have sort of done that and then Debs will occasionally mention something that I'm doing and people sort of go oh she does acting and then that's how it sort of happens and also it's interesting isn't it when we discover someone's work we love and then we like just assume they kind of fully formed just emerge and it's like (laughs) well you kind of have to get to that level there's a lot of work behind the scenes than just like appearing at the Royal Albert Hall. Yeah, Um, yeah. (laughs) yeah. but there is appearing at the Royal Albert Hall, which is pretty dope. But yeah, no, yeah, I've been around for ages, actually. And I do feel not old as in tired, but like I do get like quite a lot of actors sort of stop me and ask for advice. And there's one half of my brain that's like, oh, I'm still figuring it out. But then there's the other half of me that's like, actually, I do know a lot. 
because I've been around for so long. So I feel new, but I also feel like mm. I've seen it all <laughs> like that. It's such a funny thing, isn't it, when people ask for advice? Because I swear even people, I don't know, in their like 60s or 70s could be like, well, I'm still learning. Yeah. yeah we all are. Yeah. That, and that's to- And also like the world is changing so much, especially to do with the arts. Like I don't know what the rules are because... There's quite a few people who are just ripping up the rule book, as it were. So, yeah, I, I sort of, I know that I've been around, but I am utterly clueless <laughs> as well. I don't, I do not believe it. But also, I wonder, is it because you started acting at a young age? Because you're actually really young, aren't you? But like on paper, fetus, yeah. you probably feel like you've done more than most who yeah. graduated and then kind of found their feet. Yeah, I guess I experienced acting before I went to drama school there's like sort of two halves of my acting career there's the stuff that I did which was like youth theatre and all of that and then eventually getting an agent and doing it professionally and then actually the moment on uh, one of my first TV jobs where I really didn't feel confident like it was really hit and miss like some takes were great and some takes I thought were completely out of control and I didn't know what I was doing and so I decided to apply for drama school which doesn't necessarily mean you get in but then I did thankfully and then yeah sort of like emerging the other side of that and then starting writing when I was about 28 feels like another Mm. sort of beginning which is really cool because with acting and the business of it it's so easy to get bored get disillusioned burn out if you work enough to get burnt out if you're doing other work to supplement the acting you're not doing you could get burnt out there's all these different sort of reasons why you could get like have enough of it but I kind of feel like I've had loads of new things and even joining Debs and the Guilty Feminist and doing that was a new thing like doing stand-up was alien and new and I still find it terrifying so yeah I feel like I'm getting humbled constantly by new things <laughs> that's so good you're so so good at stand-up because I just came back from Edinburgh Fringe actually oh, cool. and I just had you know how it is when you're just back to back in like basements yeah feeling really kind of buzzy <laughs> from the like realness of it all and yeah. you can see if someone's a bit nervous but stand-up is so vulnerable it seems yeah. when you're watching it but it's one of my favorite things to watch I love it I sort of save it for Edinburgh I normally go up to Edinburgh and that's why I just do like everything and I've always been obsessed with it even when I was at drama school I remember going up to the first time to the fringe and I wouldn't see any theatre it was just stand up because I'm obsessed with it like just standing up and going you've got this contract with the audience to be like right I'm going to try and make you laugh and then the audience sometimes are on board sometimes they're not and I remember seeing quite a famous comedian I won't say his name and I saw one night with him which was sort of like an not open mic but like it was one of those oh there's a big list of hot names who were going to do like 10 minutes each and he killed it he smashed it everyone was laughing it was amazing I was like oh my god he's just incredible then the next night I went to another one of those nights and he was on the bill and I was like oh brilliant he's probably gonna do the same stuff but like it was still really funny and he died because of the audience I don't know I don't think he was on it I think he was a bit high Um, (laughs) but it just what Ever it, it didn't work and that I think was the moment I think before then I thought oh I could do stand up and then I saw that I was like nah that's fine <gasps> oh my god oh my god maybe he smashed it so he was like I don't I don't even need to bother maybe. and oh, then he oh, like let just, it drop a bit oh, maybe he just had a really yeah. long night because that's what Edinburgh does like I mean that's the one thing I can't really get my head around still and I suppose it's sort of like with Midsummer Night's Dream and, yeah. and these incredible plays I, I do think this is stamina yeah how every night 
every yeah plays are weird they are weird I remember having a, a moment when I did a play a few years ago it was a Polly Stenham play at the National and oh, I, I love her I, yeah I love Polly I love Polly I remember there was just this weird moment where I was on stage and I thought oh my god if someone wanted to find me they'd know exactly where I am right now between these hours they know exactly and I had like a mini very quiet very private freak out where I was like what am I doing? What a stupid thing. And just that sort of vulnerability of it. And, you know, and sometimes if you're doing a play that isn't great, there's the repetition of it and you sort of, your brain starts doing really weird, kind of amazing things where it just sort of floats off. Mm. You're like, come back. Or you have deja vu. Or like at Regent's Park, a pigeon will fly past. A fly <laughs> will fly into your mouth. That's humbling. Oh my goodness. Ooh, I was there like giving it, ooh, during a monologue and a fly just went, <laughs> I'm coming in. <laughs> just went in my mouth. I choked. I was just like, <coughs> I was like, well, I mean, we're outdoors, so it's our fault, really. Um, but yeah, it is a weird. I've, Can they merge into one sometimes? Like you can't remember what night switch or. I've never had that. I suspect that sort of the actors who are in shows for like a year or something have that. I try to keep my runs short. Leave That's them very wanting wise. more. <laughs> Leave them wanting more. But like the thing that I found about Regent's Park is the size of it as well. That's like one thousand. 300, wow. 500 seats. It's kind of mad. All these people, it's kind of like a weird religious ceremony. You've got to be God. <laughs> yeah, it's just an odd thing. And, and the thing that I sort of reconnected to, which is one of the reasons why I decided to play a donkey <laughs> in a park, was my sort of love for actors. It's so, I think it's in vogue or it was. No, it is in vogue to be like, oh, actors are just like, you know, they're all bollocks and it's all fake. It's all fake. It's like, then why put yourself through what we put ourselves through? Because yeah. it's nonsense. It's utter madness. And I just felt a lot of, because we had like these amazing actors who were on stilts, amazing wow. singers. And I just thought, God, we're kind of amazing. We're kind of brilliant. It yeah. sort of made me re-fall in love with actors again. That's so um, lovely. Because yeah. you're right, it's a 100% such a special art form. And I can imagine why actors would get a bit, you know, if they're in a film where they feel like they're being not used to their yeah, ability. Yeah. Or, you you know, they're just like, you're phoning it in and they're just like, oh, just do that cut. And you're like, but I genuinely really trained and skilled in this. Yeah. <laughs> and I work really hard. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why, because I, I sometimes I think as like a, a muggle, you know, <laughs> a mere mortal just like watching. Sometimes, um, you know, when people say, oh, well, but why is that Hollywood star in that play? Yeah. And it's yeah. like, well, clearly their soul is like needing it. Yeah. I love television I absolutely love television and actually I think I've been very lucky in the stuff that I've done where it's been to quite a large degree creative and I've had like input I love chewing gum thank you so great thank you well yeah even with that like it felt like a band of people coming to create something this new thing that we didn't really know what it was going to be but after a while I think there's so many people it is a machine particularly with films it's a machine and I think that you do get starved of that immediate kind of connection with an audience which is why you do see Hollywood stars like I'm going to go and do a play now mm. and it totally makes sense and then sometimes after the play they go never doing that again <laughs> I much prefer hitting my mark and somebody holding an umbrella over my head I was reading something about how when you first got into drama school, yeah. it was actually like you haven't like been supported the whole time. No. And I just find like that something that people don't talk much about. Yeah. I mean, I've spoken a lot about this and, uh, you know, in different places, but I feel like the thing that 
people think about drama schools and institutions like that, it feels like, okay, cool, you go there and you're pampered and you're looked after and you have this family who support you and all that. And I I didn't at all. Mm. And so the strangest thing about it was being in an environment that was all about dissecting who you are. Like, what are your bad habits? What are the things that you're hiding behind? What are the things that you're scared of? And da, da, da. And arriving in a place where you're like, oh, I don't quite know who I am. And I used to get really envious of other people in my year who would, you know, have families that would come and see them. And like, they would always, particularly the people who didn't live in London, where it was like, okay, at Christmas, I go home. Mm-hmm. And you're surrounded by that. And I think navigating that and also navigating the industry when you don't really know who you are is at best, it's really sad. Mm. And then at worst, it's dangerous because that's when people start telling you who you are and you start yeah, believing it. That's so dangerous. So I don't really know how I navigated it, but I did with mm. my head on my shoulders. I don't know. I really don't know. I just think sheer will and fear of it going horribly wrong and me mm. believing what people sort of tell me, which yeah. I don't. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's incredible to hear that, though, because I think so many people do kind of like just sail through it a bit. And yeah. I think the fact that to become really successful without that validation behind you yeah, it's is amazing. Yes. But you know what? It's a bit of a mindfuck because what happened was this. This is where, you know, it's, I sound amazing and really strong and all of that. But this is the bit where it really tampered with my brain was going, right, OK, I'm sailing through this. Nobody is... Well, actually, I relied so much on external um, validation Mm. for a while because I didn't have... I felt like I didn't really have a home, Mm. really. But when I say external validation, it was from, like, tutors and people who went, oh, this is what drama school is um, is," and, Mm. you know, helping me along the way and supporting me. And then when those people... Because what happens is people have lives, people grow up, they get married, they have babies, they, you know, they go through their own struggles and whatever. And then... So when I started working a lot... That's when I was like, I don't know whether I'm any good at this because all I had was all those mentors and people who Mm. were encouraging me. And now I'm out here doing it on my own and I don't know whether I'm any good. Mm. I've solely got this confidence that's been based on what other people have been saying. And that was a real point in my career where I was like, I really need to evaluate even why I'm doing this Mm. because someone told me I was good at it once. And I went, oh, cool, I'll try that then. Yeah. So there was a real moment, it was probably when I was about quarter life crisis, about 25, where I was just like, oh my God, this is what I do now. I don't do anything else. I I support myself from this. And so now I have to really look at it and ask why. (laughs) As you get older, you sort of realise, not in a bad way, because I quite like solitude and I like my own company, thank fuck. (laughs) Sometimes you just realise, God, you've really got to have your own back and you've really got to have your, your own resilience. You have to big yourself up. But in a way that isn't, particularly with me and particularly with like when I was growing up and the absolute lack of visibility of any woman that looked like me, even mud. Like I was talking to someone about this last night. The person I looked up to for ages, Halle Berry. I'm not like Halle Berry. She's nothing like me. There's something about visibility and then when you become visible that is, well, you just have to know what you're talking about. And Mm -hmm. that changes and that's fine. I quite like an evaluation of my life. I do like stopping and going, okay, hang on, how do I feel about everything? It's never really happened where I feel like I'm on a runaway train with an experience where I haven't gone, hang on a minute. And I think, do you know what? I 
think is the reason for that. It's because my birthday's on New Year's Eve. Oh, I love a New Year's Eve reflection. Yeah. Doesn't it feel amazing to start again? I love it. I think that's what it is because I'm going to the new year with a new age and I really stand by resolutions and stuff and like really sort of go, okay, what have I achieved and what do I want and how do I feel? And I think that's why I'm a little bit sort of mm. like, stop. A minute. That's so good. Uh, yeah, it's I'm, a really good treat to have. It is a good treat. Yeah, because <laughs> I was um, wondering as well about how. Sorry that I'm quoting you back from other interviews I've That's read, right. but it's just so interesting what you were saying about how when you have something to say, which. I think it's so good when people have opinions. Yeah. Like being silent is like not an option, I feel, at any point in life right now. But you saying that actually speaking up can sometimes make you feel like, oh, I'm being a bit of a troublemaker, I think the word was. But then actually, and actually everyone wants a bit of a quiet, easy life. But it's like, it's so unfair that a lot of people are pushed into this category of being like, being too outspoken. Yeah. Really, it's so annoying. It's annoying. And especially now where I just feel like no one really has the option to be quiet. But I feel that there's a couple of layers. I think it's because of my job, sometimes speaking out, people might just be like, oh, la-di-da actress, banging on about things. And then also there's the conversations that I have to live with, which is being like an angry black woman and, oh my God, she's sounding off about this, blah, boring. And then also the kind of emotional labour of doing that. Mm-hmm. Like, and you have to really check in with your mental health. And I had this a few years ago where I was just being bombarded like everyone with all these videos and images of black men being shot in the US. And it really was messing with my head and arguing with people who just they do not want to see your point of view. And also kind of going, all right, here's my life and here's the examples. Here's exhibit A, me being called, you know, the N-word at five and by some guy in a car and da 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 and sort of using your life as evidence to try and convince somebody that your life happened. Mm-hmm. It's bollocks. It's a mind fuck. And so I had to really evaluate and really sort of take up self-care, which I know has just become a, a hashtag. I've actually got it tattooed on my... Have um, you? I okay. do, right there. I love it. But um, I had to really exercise that because it is... Yeah, it just absolutely messed with my head. And you have to take responsibility for yourself in order to kind of help the world, as it were. But the troublemaker thing, I think that's what a lot of women feel. And I find it exhausting. Whenever I do speak up, which I do, five minutes later, I will feel terrible about it and anxious and awful and want to apologise to everybody. I don't now, which good. is good. Yeah. But And that's, you know, in terms of the industry, that's in terms of the world, that's in terms of my private life. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you just have to go, all right, I know that I must be vocal, but do you know what? Asking people who have experienced oppression to be the sort of on the front line is kind of madness. It's just further trauma. And so sometimes you've really got yes. to be aware of when you take a step back. Yes. Well, on that note of self-care, because Mm. um, I was going to ask you about kind of the TV industry seems famously really, really hard to get into. It just feels like there's like this weird kind of wall up just in general, but Mm. obviously it's harder for a lot of people than others. But I wondered... Do you kind of need to have like fingers and pies, do you think, because certain things are just so hard to like f- just get into directly? Mm. It sounds like, because I was reading all these projects and I was like, oh my God, you're doing so many different things. I wondered yeah. if that was like <laughs> an active choice or unfortunately a side effect of like the time we're in. I was reading up about this the other day. Somebody had written about like how a lot of people now, the the thing that would have been their hobby has now become their job Mm. and everyone's got to have like a side hustle and and that Mm. sort of thing. Honestly, if I'm being really honest, the reason why I'm so busy is because I have this thing in my head which is like, it will be over soon, so please enjoy it. I have that. I can never be happy for what I'm doing. I'm like, I'm on borrowed time. Someone's going to like... 
I stop just, this. Yeah, I just feel like, and, and do you know what? For an actress, that's not a stupid thing to think because we really are. It's not the case with men. And when I talk about men, I mean cis men, but it's just not. So actually, I sort of go, I'm on borrowed time, but it is true for women. It really just is. Do you mean in terms of like age? Or? Ageism, yeah. Yeah. 100%. And so I guess I'm busy because there's a bit of me that's like, I've got the energy to do the work. I've definitely had moments where I've gone, I'm not going up for anything. I'm not auditioning for anything at the moment. I'm not doing that. I've said, learning to say no. I say no a lot. But, but, you know, if I've got the energy to do it and I like the people and I like the project, I'm going to do it. I don't have kids. I don't have a mortgage because here we are. Like, let's just, yeah, I'll do whatever yeah. I want to do, really. And so that is kind of, in terms of my busyness, is where it's at. It's not strategic, at all. Like earlier this year, I went off and I did a pilot in the States. And that wasn't because I was like, and now I'm going to Hollywood. I got offered it. I was in the middle of a breakup. So I went, gone. Yes. It was great. It was so great. I, and I love met that. lovely people. Yeah, it was weird. I should have been getting a job during that time. No, no, but I was it, like, God, I'm even great when I'm being <laughs> gaslit. <laughs> like, this is so great. But yeah, so things like that aren't strategic. It was just this thing, this opportunity that came along and I was like, cool, I'm going to go off and do that. Because I can, because I've got the freedom of movement. Oh God, because I've got the freedom of movement to, to do that. And I think that is the only reason why busy such a good <laughs> reminder though because I think a lot of people take self-care to the extreme where they're like I'm not gonna leave my home or I'm gonna be safe and like I'm talking about myself when I when it kind of goes that way and then yeah. I'm like but I used to be this yes person who used to have these really amazing experiences and now it's almost like why can't I get a balance and it sounds it just sounds like you've kind of yeah. self-care means also doing really exciting things uh, yeah self-care can be like lock yourself into a, in a room and don't speak to anyone switch off the lights it's okay to be sad of course it's okay to be sad but sometimes you're not sad <laughs> sometimes you feel happy and you feel strong particularly if you've been through shit and it's fine mm -hmm. and that's fine to rock up and go do you know what? I've been through shit I've done my cocooning I've had a face mask I watched stuff on Netflix I'm ready now and that's definitely where I think my productivity has come from it's also going yeah I know what it's like to not want to do this and actually yeah. there was a real moment that I had this year because I had a really strange year work-wise last year where like all these projects that were meant to happen either got delayed completely went away God. that happens a lot with film it's like oh we're going to do this film we're going to shoot on this day and then finances <sighs> fall through and it just goes I hear so many of these stories I'm like oh they're horrific I've, yeah, I was speaking to this it's normal it's totally normal isn't it but it's just totally that you normal. you only see a finished project, yeah. project so you're like wow look at what you've done and then you're like oh yeah but we've all got, had like 18 different projects that like never really kind of for yeah, no reason for no reason and yeah I had a really really weird year with that last year it was so strange so in a work sense to sort of go through that and then this year it's literally just been things coming together year of the rabbit the show that i did we shot the pilot in 2017 we were meant to shoot it last year we couldn't shoot it last year so we shot it this year then it came out this year at the same time as this other show that i did called dark money and they were on tv at the same time like it was 9 p.m dark money on bbc one 10 p.m year of the rabbit on channel wow. four and i didn't plan that <laughs> and people must have been like how are you in two places at once? Yeah, and I was like, talent. <laughs> but but no, but I, you don't plan it. And that's the kind of like weird, you know, I take my work seriously, but I don't because it's just, that's ultimately out of my hands. Yeah. The thing about the arts or acting, I feel like there's like this massive pressure, which is like, love what you do, but don't get your validation from it. Don't get your validation yeah. from it. You should be gardening. 
get your validation from gardening or yeah, whatever. Yeah, there's like a pressure to have this perfect personal life. Yes. And for you to be like, oh, this my career is my side thing. And it's like, the thing is about acting, you turn up and you turn up with your body and your voice and your soul and your experience and your voice. And to go, I'm going to split everything in half and be like this sort of work person that shows up and then this other person. Mm. For me, everyone is different. But I was like, that's bollocks. I have sacrificed too much <laughs> to be like, mm, I don't really care about it. Yeah. I care about it massively yeah. and it means a lot and I enjoy it. I enjoy most of the people that I meet doing it and that's absolutely fine. And I do get validation from my work when it's good, when I'm working with like-minded people, creative people who make me better. That's the best advice I've ever been given is like, don't be the smartest person in the room. Learn from people. And yeah, to admit, oh my God, I love it this much actually rather than pretending I don't it's like then go and do something else Suze. Yeah. don't put yourself through this and just when I accepted that I had a much better work life balance because I go do you know what it really hurts when I go up for that thing and I don't get it or I went up for that thing and I didn't get it and I don't care mm. because I didn't because I, I don't yeah. connect with it because you, otherwise you're not connecting with your true feelings then precisely. if you're trying to mask everything as being like oh, it's fine yeah then nah. when do you know it's true precisely and so yeah that was the heartbreak of last year of things not working out so it made me come to this year and go actually do you know what if I don't if I audition for like there was this huge film that it was between me and the actress who got it and I didn't get it and I was utterly heartbroken and then I thought good at least I care about something enough to be heartbroken about imagine not there's some people who yeah. don't. And I thought, oh, it's a reminder that's what. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And then I got another job. Yeah. Which I wouldn't have been able to do if, you know, yeah. I'd done the other thing, which I love equally. It's not a massive movie, but it's, you know, it's yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. But no, no. And so, yeah, there was just a real moment where I was like, it's all right to love something that much. It's okay. Don't be cool. I've never been cool. I love what I do. I'm a geek about what I do. I know how to say stop. I know how to have yeah. fun. And that's fine yeah and I've it's funny with the whole saying out loud that you love what you do because I think well I was reading about this recently for something I've been working on and this amazing doctor of research said that women especially we don't like to say we love what we do and we Mm. like we're really proud of what we're doing because apparently socially it like kind of repels people a bit Um, and like because of my god what is it the Darwin theory oh what is the Darwin well the the theory of just like evolution and, oh, and oh, safety oh. and yes. and um and being accepted in a community mm. is obviously how we survive is apparently it was survival to not brag what that's crazy it's crazy do you know i've had... like we have to always play ourselves down to just be liked and then it's... yeah yeah i've oh god this is triggering so my career like i said it's been in like bits and there was a point around 2015 where you know i didn't have to do it any other work i could survive and survive, not I'm flush, but I could survive doing this. And Which is an incredible achievement in itself, isn't it? Oh, I love To even stand back and be like, oh my God, I'm paying like my bills. I watched, um, watched I read, uh, uh, somebody got me the book, Just Kids by Patti Smith. And there's this really cool bit where she talks about this bookshop that she worked in. And then she said, was she 27? Where she was like, I made a pact with myself that I would stop working there and I would just be a creative and I remember reading that going that's so cool and I was still waitressing and my mate Lyo who I was living with at the time he's an actress and I was on the way to a shift I was doing a TV job at the time but I wasn't in all the time so I did some extra shifts and she just looked at me and she was like dude you don't need to do this but it was just such this this real kind of like survival thing it's like when I get a, a day off I do a shift and she was just like dude focus on your art man 
Like, yes. just be an actor. You're an actor. You can do it. Don't be scared. Don't be scared. And it was a real, I remember wow. crying, going, oh, but I don't want to give up. I don't want to tell them that I'm not going to do any more shifts. She was like, trust, trust, trust. It was scary, though. It's like when people say, when they tell a story and they know that they could have quit their job, yeah. like, two or three years yeah. before. Yeah. Like, they could have, they were making enough money via this other avenue, but it was like, they just couldn't even accept yeah. that. It was almost like a, who do I think I am? Moment. Yeah, yeah. Do you know, I'm a really good friend of mine is a singer called Shura, who I love. And we've known each other since National Youth Theatre. And I used to see her do like these gig nights around Camden and stuff like that. And then there was a really big moment where she released her first album and was about to release her first album. And we used to DM each other because she used to work in like an edit suite and she used to work at like night and stuff like that. And I remember her being so terrified about the point where she gave up and like her mm. album she had this song called Touch her, the video went viral Nothing's Real was her first album and all of this stuff and that point of going I'm going to quit and I remember she, um, her messaging me going it's it so got to scary that. it got to like having a best selling yeah to having a hit single <laughs> she was like I think I have to quit it's so weird it's so, so weird because I, like, I think there's it. statistics around like men applying for jobs when they're like 60% qualified whereas oh. women will only apply when it's like so it's like kind of similar to I'm that I'm overqualified well, now over, yeah so it's like your friend who's like totally over proven yeah that's crazy completely but I'm so proud of her yeah um, and then so about the gloating thing I came to Instagram a little bit late I had like an Instagram account and then but I'd post like a, a cup of tea and then that was it I was like cool this is lovely and then I started working more and I had a I, I got a American agent and American manager and they were Instagram is huge in the States right. and I didn't know they're like we've got to get you verified we've got no, actually not my manager not my manager they have like a social media right. person and so I had a meeting with with her and it was very strange but she was just like strategy yeah strategy and I was like oh I've now had to create a private account because I was like I mean, I've got no followers, but... I have a I, private account as well. I yeah, love it. Yeah, I just literally Because also, like, I've kind of realised that my friends and family are supportive, but they don't always really care about yeah. my... Like, they don't necessarily need to see it all the time. No. They want to see just me. If I sort of think pre-social media, there's all... And I've been talking a lot with a couple of my girlfriends about it. There have been certain moments where I've really felt like I've come into myself and I've lost friends. But one example is I, I lost, like, lots of weight a few years ago and because I just started running I started running and it fell off and now when I run my body's like we don't care we've done this before you've done a marathon we don't care we're going to cling on anyway it was a shock to me and the reason why I started running was because my dad died and he had a stroke and he had high blood pressure and he didn't look Mm -hmm. after himself and so that will scare you and both my parents have high blood pressure and so I don't have it but it's something that I'm obsessed with now because there's certain things that happen but people's reactions to me at that time really changed mm. and yeah wow. I lost a few friends weird isn't it weird and fascinating but I think it's also got to do with like being funny if you're jolly and funny mm. like that's who you are and then if you're sort of rocking up wearing a tiny dress it's like whoa you're not meant to be that you're meant to be my yeah. jolly funny but you, you know what that reminds friend. me of is when you have like friends at school or whatever and then you kind of you really blossom and like become a bit more of who you're meant to be and then you get the whole you've changed oh yeah yeah I've got that yeah and it's like, yeah, I've changed because yeah. we all do. Yeah, and it's I get a good that. Thing. Yeah, yeah, I get that a lot. You've changed. And I really, honestly, I just just haven't. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I have in loads of ways. Like, life will change you. Yeah. But mm, no, not really. Yeah. And it's it, but, funny that being like a, like a bad thing. The, yeah, but, no, it's the only guarantee, isn't it? Change. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I really am glad I've changed since I was 14. Right, last question. I feel like I could talk to you. I feel like I could do like... <laughs> 
so many episodes of you. You're amazing. I talk too um, much, but no, you're I literally you're the much. most perfect guest. Seriously, you don't want it the other way. <laughs> I don't know if this is out or coming out or has been out, oh, but okay. um, a BBC film that you've written. Oh yeah, no, we can talk about called that. Called uh, Three weeks. weeks. Yeah. I just wondered, and I know this is a really annoying question, but where do you find time to write? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good we all. Question. I think all writers are like, oh, how? <laughs> I used to be obsessed. Just before I started writing, I used to read, like, the the process of all these famous writers. Like, you know, mm. I, I write between these hours and, you know, I make sure that I light a candle or... or do you know what I mean? And, and I used to write them all down. Okay, this writer, this is how they write and blah, blah, blah. And the truth is that I am so busy with acting because I don't... Re- and it's not just because I just love being busy... I, there's all these projects that keep coming up mm. and I go, I really want to be a part of that, actually. And so I do it because no one's mm. stopping me. For instance, I co-wrote an episode of The Reluctant Landlord, which is Ramesh Ranganathan's mm. uh, Sky Show. And I did that whilst on set for Year of the Rabbit. I just was on set. I had Final Draft downloaded on my phone as an app and I, I would write. That. That's how I did it's it. It's like give a task to an already busy person, in a way. It's yeah. like just, I heard Phoebe Waller-Bridge on a podcast say that she writes in bed. Yeah. And I was like, thank you. Yeah, I write in bed. I, like, you don't need a candle and a window no, and a... I mean, I sometimes anywhere. you can just kind of somehow be on a bus even writing some notes yeah. and yeah. actually it can be all over the place. Yeah. And that's my, okay. My writing's all over the place. But the thing that I do love is writing at night into the morning. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. I feel like my brain works better in those hours. I've always been really nocturnal. I have that because it feels like everyone else is away and asleep and quiet. Yeah, and there's less distractions. I'm more, I'm less likely, unlikely to go on my phone or anything like that. The film Three Weeks is a comedy drama about abortion. About abortion. So I saw the film Obvious Child, Jenny Slate. Oh my God, I love that film. I just... I love Jenny Slate is possibly listening I I don't know you never know let's be friends I don't know let's go for a drink I don't know I love her so much I love her so much but she's so talented she's so talented so I remember watching that like years ago and that's before I ever had a relationship she makes stand up look really easy in that film doesn't she she kind of just rocks up on stage and you're like I could do that and you're like I could not do that never do that but she's so brilliant in it and I remember watching that thinking god I've never seen abortion talked about like that especially in the States. Like, that's a risky yeah. film to make stateside, I think, actually. Yeah. Whereas here, you know, because it's legal, you know, we can talk about it a bit more. So when I went through my situation, when I um, had an abortion, I was really struck by how difficult I found it to talk about. And then what happens is when you do, the amount of women that I spoke to, and good, I there were women who I was like, what, you? Like, oh my God, which is ridiculous mm. that I'm saying that as a feminist. Like, come on. Yeah. But, I, but was... I have friends who, when, you know, three glasses of wine. Yeah. Five glasses of wine in. You're like, wow. Yeah. What, and sometimes like... during your friendship, and you, yes. they can tell you. Yeah. But, and so it was... I wanted and to it write... shouldn't have to be that whispery thing either. No. No. And that's why even just like the decision to admit that I've had an abortion, which, you know, spoken about with everybody involved. And I was like, well, it, it, is, it is the story. It is the story, yeah. so I, that means me admitting yeah. it too. And and even feeling a little bit shaky about that yeah. and going, oh, why do I feel that? It's just all really... And then I go, wow, that's I why I've written that. the film. I didn't know that. Film. I'm trying not to assume female stories are always about the writer. Yeah, I but mean... I, but then I'm always like, don't we all kind of write about what yeah, we know? I a think bit? so. Yeah, we write about what we know. Yeah. And even if I'd never had an abortion, my God, th- there are abortion stories that I absolutely was privy to that I know so I know I'm so glad you're telling that story yeah I feel like but also it was really funny there was loads of things Mm. that happened that just made 
me genuinely laugh. Mm. And I thought, I've always been about wanting to write something that that had a lot of heart Mm. and a lot of humour about it, no matter what the subject matter is. And so as these funny things kept happening, and I don't know whether I attract it because I'm always looking for a laugh, I don't know. But I was like, this is a story. It's a story that's sort of beyond actually what happened to me. But one of the reasons why I, I wanted to to write it was actually a lot of my sadness from my situation came from not going oh you know I have to go through this thing it was reaching an age and going I don't want to have children I don't want to have children now Mm -hmm. and that made me really sad Mm -hmm. and I think that that lent into sort of being told a version of what your life is going to be when you're a kid at this age you go to university you do this you get a job you find somebody you get married or whatever and not even going through life and those things not happening they're going through those things and you're not wanting them to happen. Yeah. Like, I remember telling my mum when I realised I'm not crazy about marriage. I mean, she screamed at me. She was like, you... But genuinely, I was like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know, actually. I don't know about it, Yeah. actually. And all these sort of moments when, you know, you leave drama school and there's been a big economic crash and then you go, well, I guess I'm not going to get a house then. Mm-hmm. So that's an external factor. But getting to that point and going, oh, you know, I always thought when I was a kid, when I was this age, I would know what, Mm. Uh, that I wanted to be a mother and actually I'm really sad because I know that I don't and that's sad uh, that made me sad mm. and for comedy to come from a place of sadness yeah it, I find it so kind of amazing that relationship between the two and how comedy like allows us to tell these stories yeah in a way it almost goes in more deeply when, yeah, we're, when we're sort so. of laughing a little bit I think so oh, I think God, so and I thank you but um yeah it's funny and it isn't to be honest what then happens you start writing it and it becomes fiction <laughs> the so the essence of that you know that seed of going oh I became pregnant and realized that I didn't want to be a mother and then from that so it's all what I guess people are saying now auto fiction where mm. it's you know there are people who who don't exist in it that's so interesting oh well thank you so so much so right that was amazing hey um you're just such an amazing guest there were so many things I had so many questions to ask you and we got through them all yay so, like wow. wicked <laughs>